What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Pat, it's 2020. Yeah. It's a new year. Yeah. Do you reckon if we call Jason Furman, his attitude might have improved? Only one way to find out. Should we call him? Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. Hello, Buffhead. Hey, Cockhead, what are you doing? <laughs> you woke me up, you bastard. Dude, we're recording another ad and we thought we'd call you. Just <laughs> yeah, you fucking woke me up. You're lucky I answered it. <laughs> oh, is that one of the reasons you don't like people calling you because you work nights? Yeah, that's like I, I, I try to stay awake until fucking midday, but no, people ring me at like three in the afternoon. Oh. Like as if they have lives. Hey, Jace, got any cool stuff for sale? Through EinswickDogQuip.com? Yeah, if uh, you get on the website, and if you're a balanced trainer, certified balanced trainer, that's NDTF or Bartville and Gold School, right. um, you can get up to $40 off HS products. I see. Is that because you're an ethical good guy and you're trying to outprice people just buying them without knowing what they're doing with them? Pretty much. There are other reasons, but mostly it's that. I'm a, I am an asshole as well. But <laughs> so if people wanted all this kind of dog training equipment, uh, equipment, yeah, equipment. Is that a chipmunk with that has equipment on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, is, is that my new name, Pat? Yeah, you're equipment. the you're the equipment. <laughs> the equipment. Yeah. Where do they go to check out that? Best bet is einzweck.com. www.einzwek.com. All right. Happy New Year, Buffhead. Glenn, are you eating dog food? I'm not eating dog food. Okay. But so, people thought I was last time. This is why we're redoing this ad because last time we were doing it, we had people ringing up saying, I'm very confused. It sounds like you're eating dog food. What dog not. food did people think you were eating? They thought I was eating Bright Spites. Why would people think you were eating it? Well, because on our ad last time, I made a little rustle and you said, Glenn, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm enjoying some Bright Spites. Isn't it that... The Bright Spites are so healthy and nutritious for a dog that they're amazing to use in training because dogs love the flavor of them. They're actually Correct. very good for the dog. Hmm. And they're so delicious that you thought maybe you'd have a little nibble? Well, you could because it's been so well made. As you said, as you pointed out, Kylie Bright uses all the best products that you could possibly think of in her dog treats mm-hmm. that you could possibly eat them. But they're not recommended for human consumption, but they are great for your dog. Okay. Where would I get these? Dog Squad Canine Services dot com dot au. Did you say Dog Squad Canine Services dot com dot au? I did, sir. Would I spell that canine or spell it out? Canine, as in C A N I N E, not K nine. Okay, so spell it out. Dog Squad Canine Services dot com dot au. Get yourself some Bright Bites. Use them to train your dog. Don't have a nibble yourself unless you really want to. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hi, everyone. How are you? Good. How are you? Quite well. It's good. Uh, We've got a good episode planned for today. Urban Myths Part 2. Yeah. We threatened we were going to do it. 
We had Emma Murdoch. Yep. Running around all over the world. Collecting the myths. Collecting data, collecting things from everybody's backyard, mm-hmm. collecting all the wives' tales, mm-hmm. all the Grandpa Simpson paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. And we finally got it in one place and we're going to throw it out there for the public to decide upon themselves. Well, we're going to be judge, jury and executioner on it. Yeah, we may. We decide whether we it's are, real or not. We are. We have the microphones. We do. So a lot of the things that people have put in here in the discussion thread about mm-hmm. it were in the first episode. A lot of dominance-based stuff, which um, I actually just listened to the first episode on the way out here to sort of make sure we weren't going to cover the same things over and over again. So we'll skip over a lot of these. Since you've listened to Urban Myths Part 1 mm. again, and it's fresh in your mind, did I talk about where fuck you came from? Apparently uh, where it came from? No, I don't. I skipped a lot. Of parts, but I, I can't I, remember if I said it in round one. So maybe I'll bring it up in open. Open us up with that. I'll open it up with that. This is according to history, okay. but it's most likely laden with a lot of bullshit. Okay. However, what they said was during the days of archery, when archery was part of modern warfare, mm-hmm. like the archers were considered the most influential part of a modern army at that point in time because okay. of the range and everything yep. that they could have. So one of the worst things that could happen with an archer was when they were caught, they'd cut their fingers off. So basically what they used to call it was plucking the U. Okay. Right. So when they were archers, when they were pulling that string back, that mm-hmm. was called plucking the U. Okay. So if they managed to escape the opposing team, okay, well, the other side, they would then turn around, stick their finger up and call out pluck U. <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is according to the online history. So apparently, fuck you came from pluck you. Without any evidence, I'm going to rate that as false. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that seems unlikely to Probably. Me. I think that instead of cutting the fingers off, they probably just killed them. Yeah. The, the chances of them then escaping minus their fingers and presenting themselves again in order to have the the cut the finger cutter offer uh, present his middle finger and say, fuck you or pluck you. Why would he even say that? Well, I don't know, but I like to lie in bed at night while you're thinking about where flies go. I like to think about people <laughs> running around in fields, sticking their finger up and yelling out, pluck you. Well, keep thinking. Keep There's got to be something else. It's like where the word shit came from. Oh, yeah. Apparently, again- to the online... Is this the same on, source? It's No, there are countless sources, but this is... <laughs> this <laughs> countless is, because countless, it's zero. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this comes from uh, the online uh, academia. Okay. But apparently the word shit came from when they used to store manure in ships, transporting it around for fertilizer. Mm-hmm. They It used to say store high in transit because they didn't want the water that was sludging around in the bottom of the boat mixing with the manure and the salt getting in it and ruining it. Right. So apparently they just abbreviated it to shit. <laughs> that's plausible. Uh, yeah, I, I give that one more credence. Yeah. I, I think that's more believable. Yeah. But I'm still not necessarily sold on that one. And while... Parents have now decided not to let their kids listen to this episode because we've used fucking shit and so much <laughs> content. The word apparently, allegedly, according to my sources, <laughs> the word fuck, the abbreviation came from early days in the in the king's court where it meant fornication under consent of the king. Really? Apparently, according to my sources. I've heard 
other things. Where, what have you heard? Tell me. Uh, just other things. <laughs> like? Well, they're, they're all nonsense, so there's no point going into any further detail. <laughs> but this is, this is a fun episode, so. Do you want to talk about any dog stuff? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, if anybody can alleviate on those three things, fuck you, shit, and where the abbreviation of fuck came from, mm. now that we've made this an X-rated session, if you want to alleviate me on that and say, okay. Alleviate you. Well, not alleviate, if you want to enlighten. Enlighten, that's the word. If you want to enlighten me further on the conscripts of where they came from, please go ahead. Here's a fun fact. Okay. Uh, a guy I went to school with, he was a journalist mm-hmm. for the ABC. I think he does, actually is a producer for them now. Yep. Anyway, he tracked down the person who first used the word selfie and found the guy. It was an Australian guy. Legit. Yep. That was he was the first. It was online, invented in Australia. Well, it was the first time anybody put up a picture with yep. the comment selfie on it. Yep. And it was a dude, like an Aussie dude, with his own beer or something like that. I can't remember. But yep. It was very unimpressive. It was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it was a very normal person. So we can claim made in Australia. Yeah, on the selfie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll find it. I'll find it because I can contact him and yeah, uh, yeah. I'll be able to post it in the group. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's copyright to that then. Well, the Kardashians owe him some 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 serious dollars. Bank. Yeah. Yep. All right. Hey, let's talk about some dog stuff. Okay, let's do that. All right. I'll leave that in for comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Kaylee Hop Hope Hoppy H O P P E. I don't know how you Hoppy. would pronounce that. Hope Hop Hopi Hoop. Like the Hopi Indian. I think I can help with this pan pan situation. <laughs> uh, she says it's the N. Yeah, the N is silent. Uh, this is one I heard all the time while my dog was growing up. Keeping your male dog intact is going to make him aggressive. Mm-hmm. Those same people also suggested that ignoring dog fights was the best way to stop them. So I don't think keeping a male dog intact will make him aggressive. I don't. I think that is an urban myth. What do you think? According to science and people that I've spoken to on the relevancy of the issue, neutering dogs can have an effect on their behavior mm-hmm. and it can also have the opposite effect that you hope for on the behavior. Mm. So there have been situations where people have noticed a increased amount of aggression. However, there have been incidences where lowering the testosterone because they're not producing it anymore once their testes are taken away, it does also have an effect. This is where this becomes an urban myth into a serious side of health and concern, Mm. there is also a concern that I would rather risk a small amount of aggression than ongoing health issues, which I asked Esther Schulk about Mm -hmm. while she was out here doing, and she's a vet. She's a veterinary behaviorist as well, which is what I should have highlighted. The fact is, is that she said, yes, there can be a reduction in aggression, but there can also be a concern about the amount of other health impacts. Yeah, I think it would for sure. And Karen Becker speaks about this exclusively as well. Yeah, I think you got to look at a lot of the, what's the source of the aggression? Mm. You know what I mean? So like for sure, a little bit of just sort of dominance-based aggression has potential to, like you could sort of reduce that a little bit via neutering. Yeah. What I find actually, which is interesting to me, comes to mind when I think about this is I regularly have dogs act sort of weird around Remy and people say, oh, it's because he's not dissexed. My dog hates dogs that are not dissexed. So the aggression actually I find goes the other way, right? Mm. Like I find that the uh, the dogs that are neutered tend to display way more aggression. You see that really like quite frequently around 
intact dogs? Well, we have multiple boarding kennels around New South Wales and the majority of the pets that come in here into the very, very high percentages of them are de-sex dogs mm. and they're still aggressive. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's still aggression yeah, issues. definitely not going to change it. And I think as well, like, uh, I've certainly heard of people, you know, they've got their dog that's turned into an asshole. He's four years old and they think that de-sexing him at that point is going to going to change it that's not going to like if there is any change it would be a drop in the ocean Mm, because that behavior is already made a run yeah because aggression is behavior and it can have a lot of sources but once it's reinforced and it's ingrained then it's there Mm. and even if you remove the trigger the aggression can remain as a habit or that's just a like the the behavioral cycle the dog goes through so it's just not a reliable thing to say neutering or desexing a dog is going to fix or avoid any aggression Mm. But like I say, I, I see the opposite. What, what do you reckon that is? That you'd see that a fair bit as well, right? That dogs that are neutered young behave oddly around an intact dog. I couldn't say with authority that I do see that a hell of a lot. But what I do see is that some undesex dogs that come in here that get a little humpy and so forth, they create aggression in the kennels. And that's predominantly because their humping behaviour and their harassment behaviour of other dogs. It's not that their intent is aggression in any way, shape or form. They're not trying to dominate or do any of the behaviours that people suspect that they're doing, which is causing aggression. They're just simply being oversexed young dogs, which are causing the other dogs to be, Mm. well, it's the same behaviour that you would have in a nightclub with an oversexed young male Mm. with with females who aren't appreciative of that behaviour. You know, you'd get a slap in the face or a punch in the chops for behaving that way. Do you think dogs have a type? Yeah. I see that. Yeah. Like my dog is not really interested in any female dogs except other Malinois. Whether they're in heat or not, he's like inappropriate around them. It's funny you say that. I've got a theory and it's probably very loose, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. My theory is, is that birds of a feather flock together. Yeah. yeah. You know, like every time, and I mean, I'm, I'm talking predominantly about the wild and the effects of herd-related behaviour and safety in numbers and so forth. So I understand that species hang together in their family and so forth like that. But I often see preferences, especially in Rottweilers. Rottweilers can be very, they can have a prejudice towards other dogs mm-hmm. apart from other Rottweilers. But even then, they're still issues on the inner circle of that as well. Yeah. However, it's just a loose theory that I have is that birds of a feather flock together. The same is most fuckwits I know hang together. <laughs> I think in dogs certainly sort of being breed selective and wanting to spend more time with their own breed, yeah. that would be an imprinting thing, right? Like in their critical period of socialization. The, well, the- well, you look at working dog clubs, you know, I mean, large amount of people that are in sports who are all trying to win all have in the, the bite dog, dog sports, yeah. Malamars. Yeah. So they all grow up around each other. Yeah. And in agility, Aussie Shepherds and Border Collies. So they all grow up around each other. Yeah. And then they develop a kinship towards that type of dog. So, you know, most of their puppyhood is raised around that type of dog because they're all competing in the same circle and yeah. that's what they see. They're in regular yeah. contact with each other. They're imprinted with each yeah. other. Yeah. And plus you've also got the size differentials that – um, most people who have got large breeds hang around with large breed dogs. Yeah. So, you know, like removing the risk or the the problem related with rough play and behaviour, not to say that they're going to be aggressive with each other, but there's plenty of times where people are thinking, well, if I've got a Chihuahua-sized dog and a Rottweiler-sized dog, I'm better off letting my Rottweiler-sized dog play with Rottweiler-sized dogs yeah. and my Chihuahua-sized dog play with Chihuahua-sized dogs. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, yeah, I noticed that for sure. Like Remy is – 
quite neutral around other dogs. He enjoys the company of dogs. I wouldn't say he's neutral, actually. He He's very social. Yeah. But in the presence of other Malinois, he, he gets, like, rambunctious. And he, I always, rambunctious yeah, Remy. Rambunctious. Mm. But I always kind of make the joke. He's like, come on, let's go do cool guy Mally shit. Like, that's you can see he's like, you like to play the games I like to play. And yep. immediately they get into that. Mm-hmm. Whereas with other breeds, he doesn't, he doesn't try and initiate play in the same way he does with another Malinois. Well, it's like if you watch child behavior – if you've got a group of children and you've got, you know, let's say, for example, if you had Rip, who's probably very boisterous and he's got a lot of energy and he's strong for his age, et cetera, et cetera. If he played with other kids that were sissies and, you know, he found that he was getting in trouble all the time and they were running off sooking, he'd come to you and say, Dad, I'm bored, you know, I don't like this. Whereas if he was playing with other children that were like-minded, had the yeah. same characteristics, the same amount of strength, he would find that it's more engaging, he was more involved in the game, what would be the difference with other dogs? Where yeah. they can play without risk of getting in trouble or, you know, things going south and, and spiralling out of control for them, they actually can get to enjoy the day. Why would tell, you want anything less? I've got to tell a story. I don't expect people to necessarily believe me on this and I wish to God I was filming. And I was filming at the start because I it, it was just interesting to me the way you're Remy not was playing a, with the you're dog. You're not a liar. Oh, but just the way that things panned out. So, yeah. Remy, this dog was coming in to this area where we were. It was in Callum Park, right? Huge, big sort of rolling space. This lady was turning up and she had she had a, I think it was a Ridgeback or something like that, like a sort of bigger dog. And you could see that it was kind of sketchy as it was arriving. It was a bit like hesitant to- Wait, and, is this a dog park? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's a huge off-leash area, yeah, right? Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> and the dog was kind of like looking like, oh shit, like I'm a bit worried. Yep. And- Valerie was off doing Valerie stuff, right? And Remy went into this play bow like immediately. Like, and that's when I thought, shit, I should film this, right? Like, because I had my phone in my hand. I thought, ah, who cares? This other dog's so far away, you're not going to be able to see the body language on a phone. And you could see that he was showing this dog, like, hey, it's cool, man. Like, you're okay. He was the welcome here. wagon. Yeah, he was like, he, mm-hmm. he gave a very clear, like, it's okay to come and approach me. Yep. So this dog kind of builds up the courage and he leaves his handler a little bit and sort of goes over. And before too long, they're sort of running around chasing each other, right? And they're having this good game sort of playing. And they sort of take it in turns. You chase me, I chase you. They're having a pretty good game on this big field. And then Remy just got a bit too much and was like a jerk act. And as he was running this dog, he bit it on the bum. But it was like still a nip, like a yep. play bite. Like it wasn't a bite bite or it was a play bite, but it was too much for this dog. And the dog went running back to its its owner and basically was like in the middle position, like there. Ahead. And this is why I wish I was filming it because I said to him, and I'm quite sure what I said meant nothing, but I was like, hey, go and fucking make it right, man. And then so he... <laughs> He then walked over kind of sullenly and this dog was kind of panicking like, shit, he's coming back for me. And the lady was like, you know, like you could see her looking at me like, are you sure that you want to let this happen? I was like, it's fine, don't worry. And Remy went over and you could see the the body language conversation of like, hey, stop being a fucking pussy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you didn't get hurt. Yep. We were just playing like, yeah, I went too much for you, but come on out. And he recovered that dog. Like you could see that that dog was not okay. It was a bad, that was a bad experience even that was a nothing experience but the dog was very weak uh and he recovered it and then they kind of played a little bit and i was like okay let's leave it on that and and i was like come on let's get out of here and i was like god damn i wish i filmed that because it was such a beautiful kind of dog in- interaction where you could see him reading body languages better than any person can you know and then he whether he knew that he'd done wrong or just wanted to 
play more. I don't know. I don't know his motives for going over, but he recovered that dog because that dog was like, shit, I've had a bad, I've just had a negative experience. Mm. And when we left the dog, we finished on a positive experience. Like he will be better with the next dog yep. who probably can't read dog body language and then smashes the poor fuck. <laughs> <laughs> right? But yeah, I think that's the role of critical period socialization. Like in that he really does understand puppy or, or dog body language and can moderate himself and play appropriately. He was raised reads. by Val. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. And, and can read, but you know, so many dogs don't have the ability to do this because yep. they just don't get exposed. And it's such a, it's not an inherent trait. They have to learn it from other dogs. Yeah. What does a social dog look like? When does play stop being play and become a fight when, mm. and uh, you know, I was listening to Jay talk about this and he's got such a better way of explaining something I've always struggled to explain all the time is that, when they're playing, you know, like nature sort of weakness attracts violence. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time that's what sort of certainly happened in that case, but he came back from it is that when they're, they're taking it in turns, you be the wolf, I'll be the rabbit. Right. Yep. And, and now, okay, gotcha. Now I'm the rabbit, you're the wolf. And then when that escalates and goes over the top, it's not because the dog decided I'm really the wolf. It's usually because the other dog decided shit, I'm really the rabbit. Mm -hmm. And then the, then the dog chasing is like, fuck, now I'm the wolf, right? And comes in and actually bites him. And that's certainly what happened there. Like that dog was running and got a bit like, oh, I really need to run. Yep. And that's where he was like, oh, but now I really have now to I need bite to be you. the wolf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? But then recovered and brought the dog back. So anyway, it was a cool, I wish that I'd filmed it. Mm. I don't, but, you know, so I don't have it on footage, so I don't expect anyone to believe me. So Before we go into the next one, mm. there's an interesting discussion that was happening in another online event in regards to a Doberman that bit a guy. Uh, yeah, I didn't read any of that. I just skipped past it. Give me mm. the synopsis. Okay. The synopsis was that it looked to me that it was a board and train process. Again, this is looking as an observer from the outside, not being there, not being on the ground with the person. But they sort of gave a rendition of what happened. Long story short, the guy assumed that the Doberman was in a better frame of mind, that he had relaxed and calmed down enough to the point where he could start to put his hands comfortably on the dog to give him a bit of a rub down. And allegedly when he, when he started giving the dog a rub down, when he went down near the flanks of the dog, which I wouldn't have done, but he did it anyway, the dog started growling. It postured towards him as he moved backwards. The dog came in, bit him on the inside of the arm. And then at some stage, his wife came out to assist with him with getting the dog under control. And the dog left him and went for her and grabbed her by the collarbone. Mm -hmm. So both of them have got significant bites to them. She got a decent cut to the bottom of her neck and a collarbone. He got quite a decent chomp. Now, when I'm saying a decent chomp, I've seen some working dog bites before that have gone sour. And I've also seen some, like I'm talking police and military type of dog. I've seen footage all over the world from pets and everything like that. A Dobe, a Roddy, a Mal, any of those large breed dogs, when they really want to take flesh off you, I mean, we're talking serious damage. Mm. You know, we're talking dinner plate holes in your in your body. These were these were still significant. You know, they're bites that need medical attention and so forth, but they're not like other bites that I've seen. Now, somebody in the group suggested that it was predation. I beg the differ. Now, I looked at that situation and I'm thinking, this is a dog with mental clarity issues. Mm -hmm. That's Stoberman. It's a. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, Jason. <laughs> well, but I, that's why I scrolled past it. I was like, yep. no bag Doberman attacks handlers. No shit. Well, I don't know how predation was summarized out of it. Like predation, the, you were talking in last week's episode 
where we were talking about fisticuffs and you said fisticuffs entails some courage has to be behind that and certainly predation has to be as well like predation is appetitive when you're yeah. when you're in a, a predatory state of mind like you're it's either a survival based instinct or it's it's an enjoyable aspect yeah. this I want dog to strike you kill you and consume you correct okay yeah. so in this instance how could it be assumed that this doberman was in a predatory state of mind the whole fact is the dobe was uncomfortable with the people and they're saying, oh, yeah, but he willed back and, you know, the minute that happened that the dog, you know, the dog saw them as prey. Well, sorry, but I have to call bullshit on that. Yeah. All my experiences tell me that's not predation. That is absolutely a problem with mental clarity and that that's a pure form of defensive aggression. Yeah, I haven't read it, but if you're saying that he moved backwards. Well, I shouldn't say defensive aggression. I should say it's aggression. Aggression, yeah. Yeah. And in, in the description you've just given there, if the do- if the guy moved backwards, it's not that he likely kicked the dog into prey. It's that the dog saw an opportunity to strike, right? Yeah. It was a weak dog that needed the guy to take a step back to yeah. show that he was not the threat that – to show that he was a threat that could be overcome. Yeah. Uh, and then the dog strikes. But I don't know. Mm. I saw the post and just went, uh. Yeah. Nervy Doberman attacks people. No shit. Yep. Sorry, Doberman people. But you guys know how I feel. <laughs> In saying that, and this is not a recovery point, I mean, I've met some brilliant Dobes as well. Of course. You know, like there, there are- Every un- dog's an individual. Well, there are unicorns and there, I've, I have met some brilliant Dobes. I've, I know some people out there that have come here. You know, there's two people that come to mind that I can think of that have very- strong and robust dobes. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are dogs that have got good clarity and good bite strength and yeah. will do well, but there's a ton of them out there, as there are in males and roddies and shepherds as well, that are like shitloads of problem dogs. Yeah, and in, in this case, I wouldn't be calling predation. Yeah. yeah. I just think that that post needed a bit of clarity to it. Okay. Just cool. my two cents. There it is. Mm. Liz Barber, never punish a growl. Why? Well, that's the urban myth. Okay. That's the no miss that you should never punish a growl. Well, you know, I reckon that one's got a lot to answer for for the spate of aggression cases that we all see. Yeah. When, like, like we've talked about this a few times, that when a puppy growls at something mm-hmm. and a, a tiny little punishment at that point of like, hey, knock it off, w- could change. Yeah, that's a fork in the road for that dog. Yeah. Do we relinquish to the growl? Do we allow him to be successful in that? early onset of aggression, his first ever showing of dominance or aggression or whatever his intention is. Mm. Hey, I want that more. I'm willing to fight over that. And then we relinquish to that and go, oh, I'm very sorry. Here you go. Have it. That's how we've, his first success jackpots and we end up building a, an aggressive dog that's yeah. a headache to live with. Or at that moment in that puppy's life, you go like, hey, fuck, cut it out. And he goes, oh, there's no success in that behavior. Once again, you know, going back into these, reading the online arguments, because I have been backwards and forwards and reading these, and people are saying that growling is the first stage of a warning. You know, this is why they're suggesting Mm -hmm. don't punish growls, because it removes the dog's ability to warn you, I'm uncomfortable. There is thought around that, you know, and and it goes in line with what you were saying before. It It is a form of communication, you know, dogs making vocalization various forms of it, I think they should be allowed to express themselves. However, I think if the dog is instrumental in its behaviour, I should use the word operant rather than instrumental, if the dog is operant in its behaviour and it would have an understanding of there is a consequence behind this and you as the handler, okay, the partner, the owner, whatever you want to call yourself in your fur baby's life, if you're a passenger in this and you can- Pet parent. Pet parent, that's the word I'm looking for. 
So if you're a passenger in this and you can see that the dog would understand and benefit from you stepping in and reprimanding the dog for its inappropriate behavior at that time, I think you should punish the growl. Yeah. Because it's a prelude to what's coming next. Yeah. And that that in line is what I'm suggesting that people do is not just whack the every growl out of the dog. I'm not suggesting whack your dog either. But what I'm saying is that if the dog understood, and this is where people say you should never punish aggression. Well, you know, when you're talking about fear, I'm saying, yeah, I agree with you on that because you can't punish fear. But when a dog is operant in its understanding of what I'm doing, it has a concept of what's going on. I'm saying, yes, you should punish it. You know, the dog should be held accountable for its behavior, but it has to know why first. Like in all learning phase or they're all teaching phases of behavior, dog has to know why or what is happening in order to be able to face the consequences of either positive or negative. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talk about it all the time that, that cavoodle that I. Yeah. That it, real. It was a thug. It was yeah. a killer. Mm. If that dog weighed 40 more kilos, I'd have paid anything they wanted for it. Um, <laughs> It was, it was a monster. They had built a monster. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't a nervy dog. It wasn't unstable. It was a monster. They had turned it into- A, like, mal- a malavoodle. Yeah, if only. Mate, yeah. if only. Yeah. But I could tell you, you trace that back to a single fork in the road where that dog was like, you know what? I'm willing to fight over this. And as a tiny little puppy, you could have gone, well, that's not going to get you anywhere and, and punished it. And by punishment, I'm not talking like even a uh, what people are thinking of like a physical correction. Just like, hey, you're not effective in that. Like, mm. we're going to reduce the frequency and likelihood of that behavior, right? That That's not going to get you anywhere. But instead, they did the opposite. They reinforced it. And it's not – and people have this idea in their head of, like, when you reinforce a behavior, you click and give a treat. Like, anything the dog wants is the reinforcer. Whatever the intended outcome of that aggression was mm-hmm. is the reinforcer. And if you if it gets that, then the aggression is reinforced. And two years later, you've got a cavoodle that's a fucking killer. Yep. Right? Like – where I have to wear the bite suit in the house, like to a cavoodle, I know, like a, like a four kilo dog. Yeah, uh, you you're looking at me like I'm surprised. <laughs> like, uh, like I, again, I run boarding kennels, and I've got you know, like literally at this time of year, we've got over a thousand dogs or thousand pets in all our facilities. Yeah, the worst savaging that I've ever had by a dog before. This sounds extremely funny, but it was from a dachshund. Yeah. Yeah. It came at me. It looked like somebody was throwing a sausage at me. It came at me. It struck me. It struck me midsection. And don't ask me how a dog with like two inch feet could propel itself that far. But it came. Luckily, I had a big like sloppy jumper on. Um, I thought it was. <laughs> lucky I had a big sloppy belly. <laughs> Didn't get any of my organs. Didn't, fortunately, didn't actually get any of my skin because I mean he shredded my jumper. Yeah, yeah. You know, like he took he actually like talking about taking a dinner plate size. He took as much as he could take out of that jumper. Yeah, yeah. But he was serious and committed, and it, it scared the shit out of me because I didn't expect it. Yeah. Like with working style or working breed or working size dogs, I I kind of expect it. You know, like going like so. Was he just freaking out, or was he a thug? He was a thug, yeah, like yeah. pure and simple thug. Now I had, I did have warnings. However, I laughed them off, yeah, uh, yeah. to my detriment. Yeah, you know, and this is one of the. This was a good learning uh, cycle for me because I, I laughed it off. I dismissed it. The girls in the kennels told me I was young in my career at that time, and I kind of thought, 
look, I was in my prime of my career. Yeah, yeah. I was young. I was fit. <laughs> you know, like I was. No, um, Daxon's going to best me. No one's going to best me. You know, like I had that indestructible sort of mentality. Yeah. But yeah, I went in there and and totally got blindsided by this dog. When I came out, everyone was laughing at me, and I I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> impressed. You know, like I was actually kind of insulted, and I had my ego thumped good and proper. Yeah, yeah. But it was a good lesson to me, and it's something that if I could pass along the mantle to other people is don't underestimate a dog in those sort of situations. And yeah. that primarily comes into, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Mm. And that dog had as much courage as any dog that I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and, and that was total aggression. Yeah. And just yeah. probably built, right. You don't probably don't know his full history, but that's, it was something tiny that got reinforced one time. Yeah, he he goes, just, he's ah. a non-fuck around. And like, and like, he was still waiting at the cage for me to come back. Like he's calling me in for round two and three. <laughs> You know, that was that was Mr. T and Rocky on the first fight. Oh, and I was Rocky. Awesome. I went down and just got bashed. That's awesome. Yeah, that was scary as fuck. Anyway, that happened. All right, so we say that it's probably okay to punish a growl sometimes. As long as a dog understands. It's got to be it's got to be operant-minded about why it happened. That's my closing statement to it. Okay. Kaylin Diebel. Diebel? Diebel? Jeez, I'm having a shocker with I names know. today. Playing tug makes dogs aggressive. Well, it can. <laughs> Yeah, it can if you do it badly. If you yeah. do a bad job of it, of course it can. You reckon? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of monkeys out there who just do ridiculous work with their dogs. And, I mean, I've got a backlog of stories I could tell you about people who have just done terrible work with their dogs. Like you talked about it the other day, you know, doing predatory work with your dog, like teaching your dog the art and the formation of correct biting sequences mm. and so forth. And I'm a big fan of that because I do it with Randy. I do it with all my dogs. You know, like I'll back time or I'll do work where I'm just playing with it. Max, my other shepherd, you know, like I play with them quite regularly and do a lot of predation work with them, but I don't do any defensive work. Yeah. And I totally support and agree with what you said. You summarized it perfectly when you said it the other day. And there have been like when I'm talking about a backload, a backlog of stories, there's plenty of people I know in the past who have done so much poor predation work that they've turned it defensive and that's where the dog can become aggressive yeah. and that's where it can turn on you as a, what can turn into a problem for you. Yeah, but I think what she probably means is just playing tug in general. There's a lot of breeders that actually just learn to do it properly. Yeah, learn, it, learn to do like, it properly. Oh, I never play tug with your dog because it'll make them aggressive and if you ever find yourself in a game of tug with the dog, you must win. Because otherwise, well, that's uh, the part that does make the dog yeah, aggressive. That's, that's it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the problem. part of the fun of the game of of owning a dog and playing with a dog is playing keepings off. Sometimes, yeah, you know, like letting a dog best you and win and and parade its prey around and you know run around the house. I mean, shit. If if that was the case, Ladybug would be a killer. Yeah, <laughs> there's such a there's such a market for that. Like teaching people to play with their dogs properly. That's it. Yeah, it, it's. It's something that I take for granted all the time because I was taught really well by people who can teach it really well, right? Mm. And like I, I, I think for a long time until sort of maybe six months ago, I just took for granted that everybody could do that. No, um, it's, it's handling yeah. handling a dog. Like there's two things that, that I think need serious thought and consideration in by the right type of educator is teaching people to handle a dog when they're involved in any form of bite sport whatsoever like how to stand, how to hold, how to lead, manage, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And the art of good tug or flirt pole work. Yeah. Yeah. But also like I just find when I'm teaching and I say the extra po, right? Like it's – and that tug just comes under that. I say give him the ball. And yep. it's it's just there's so much more to it about teaching how to actually interact and, mm. and how to – 
you know, people say, oh, my dog doesn't have good toy drive or whatever. And so a lot of the times it's like, well, you haven't shown him a game to play with that toy. Like yep. the good dogs, the crazy good dogs, are you, you drop a stick on the floor and the dog goes ballistic trying to get the stick after it's dead on the floor. Yep. But those dogs are not what people typically have. Yeah. But um, even, there, even so, there's a lot of times where people uh, unintentionally punish the behavior. Yeah. And then when they want to try and pick it up again, the dog looks at you and goes, is this a trap? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm. And I think on regards to tug causing aggression in dogs, I think the majority of, well, not the majority, a lot of aggression cases could be fixed with tug, mm. like good playing of tug. And and yep. it's a lot of the case of, well, the dog just has the desire to strike and bite and fight and you don't give him an outlet for that. Like he needs to, that's going to happen and it's going to happen into other dogs or into your legs yep. or into your tug, yep. right? You choose you choose your own adventure, mm. right? Um, but the problem is then fighting another dog, he really reacts. <laughs> his reactions are, his reactions are genuine, yep. right? And that's so fine when I'm like lately trying to teach people how to play tug. I'm like, you really have to actually play. Like you can't, too many people get caught up in the idea of, like they watch someone else do it. They'll watch Jay play with a dog or they watch Michael Ellis play tug or, or they watch anybody, right? Ivan, whoever the, the, the people that are really known for playing it and they try to replicate what they do. But what they do is not the formula. It's how they play, yep. right? Like it's really have to play. And I heard a good uh, thing recently that the definition of play is that which is done for its own purpose, mm -hmm. right? So you really have to actually, when as soon as people start trying to use tug as a reinforcer or the gameplay as a reinforcer, you're no longer playing, right? Because it's not that for its own purpose. It's yep. to be used as a reinforce something. So for a long time beforehand, it's the same as how I say like to load the clicker and all that. Like you have to play for free, right? Yep. Like teach the dog, hey, this is a game that we play and we play it just because it's fun, mm -hmm. right? And we this is how we do it. And a lot of people, you know, we talk about the difference between winning and losing and outing. I think we've spoken about it on here that a lot of people think that when, you know, if the dog manages to rip the tug out of your hands, he wins, yep. right? And then when you manage to tell the dog to out and he does, you win. And yep. it, it, it can't be that way. It has to be the out is the end. That's the bell going off. And mm -hmm. I didn't win and you didn't win. It's just over. Yep. But then people say, okay, well, what do I do when the dog wins? When, when, when I win from the dog, sorry, if I manage to get the tug out of his mouth, that's what you winning looks like. What do I do then? And it's like, well, it's different for every dog. But typically, you know, when I'm playing yeah. this with a dog, what I like to do typically is in the early phases, I let the dog win whatever it is we're playing for. And I watch really closely what he does because that's what victory looks like to him, mm -hmm. right? And then when I take the toy, when I manage to get it from his mouth, I do something similar, yep. right? Because that's what he, he can look at and represent like, oh, that's he's won and now I should reinitiate the game. Um, and I have like clear signals for – changing teams like I actually clap my hands and like it's it's a marker the dogs learn it but if I'm chasing the dog and then I want to change and have him chase me like I clap and I turn and I run away and then it becomes a marker and I can bring the dog back with that same clap if the dog yep. if he's doing his victory lap then I can clap and he goes oh, okay that means come back and restart the game and I think that's the bones in your comment is that you've got to have clarity in what you're actually doing because yeah. a lot of times you know I've watched people play 
tug and play based games before where they've had an interpretation of what it actually is, but it's not, mm. you know, like they think it's something and to the dog, that was five minutes of horror. Yeah. You know, like hanging on for grim life, being thrown around the field by a, a tug toy that the dog did not enjoy whatsoever. There was no appetitive nature to it at all. It was just a complete session in aversive, you know, like I'm literally in this game because I feel like I have to be, mm-hmm. there's no joy in it. Yet the person thinks, oh, my dog's having a ball. Yeah. You know, like some people play games with their kids where they tickle the kids and stuff like that. And sometimes it's funny and the kids love it and it's all part of fun and stuff. But then they overdo it to the point where they're nearly sick and hysterical, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's starting to hurt like their ribs are hurting and stuff like that. To you, you're thinking, oh, they're laughing. They're having a great time. Like, you know, this is a fun game. To the kid, it's like I'm nearly fucking suffocating here from trying not to laugh. That's a good example, actually, because your laughing is actually a form of panic. Yeah. When you're tickling Good point. It's a form of panic. And so at the right level, it's fine. Yeah. But when you go too far, it's terrifying. And it can be the same. I think for sure you see people at both ends of the spectrum, like they play with their dogs so poorly that the dog's like, ah, fuck this, I'm not interested, and it doesn't engage. And then they say, oh, the dog's got no toy drive. Or there's people who put in so much pressure that the dog's like, holy fuck, like I have to win. Like this is dangerous for me not to win. Mm. And that looks like a dog that's super committed to the game. Like to the average, to the untrained observer, that looks great. Yeah, but it's panic. Oh, he's freaking out. He's freaking out like, shit, I can't let go of this thing. Mm. It's unsafe for me to not win. And the things that could happen to me while I'm playing, like people put too much pressure on their dogs. Entirely. People do it in scent work as well. Like when the dog is a young puppy and it's very enthusiastic, they'll spend most of their time kicking the nose off the floor. Mm. And then as they decide, oh, I want to get into scent work, they start doing it. The dog thinks, no, no way. I'm not falling for this. I'm not going to get kicked in the face again. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not allowed to smell. It goes back to your original point of being clear in definitions. Like I guess to summarize it, perspective. Yeah. You need to understand perspective of the other side. Like what... And, and that, again, comes into it doesn't matter what you think and feel. It matters what the dog thinks and feels. If you're going to interpret things properly, then you have to be a master of summaries to come up with that point and say, how are you feeling about this right now? Because yeah. your job as teacher, coach, mentor, handler, whatever you want to call yourself, your job in that role is to summarize on the spot, where do we sit right now? Mm. You know, like in the clear lines of definition, in the origins of everything that we're trying to do, where do we sit right now? Yeah. Just on on the play thing, like I say, for me, when I'm teaching, it's like the extra poe, right? Yeah. Because there's a whole week in just teaching someone how to play with their dog. And yep. even, the, you know, like that's a whole, that's a whole seminar in and of itself. It's a that's huge, a whole training it's a huge package. package. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it takes so long to shape decoys. Yeah. To craft a good decoy. That's like crafting the statue of David. Yeah. You know, it takes that long to shape it out of them because there's so much understanding, so much reading that has to be done. And this is like, you know, I don't want to get into the technical side of it, talking about how hard this works, but it's like reading and writing constantly backwards and forwards. Yeah. You know, it's triggering one to move into the other. You've got to understand it and incrementally move in the right direction. Yeah. Mm. But on the decoy thing, and that the same exists though, in that you can't just watch someone else and do what they do. Because, because you move differently. You are right. different. Like yeah. it, it is a dance between you and the dog. And if yep. you're just trying to react the same way that you know, you, someone might watch Sean work a dog, right? Yeah. You know, say, oh, I could do that. I'll just put uh, yeah. a suit on and run around and do it. Well, you know, but but the way he interacts with the dogs and makes them feel powerful, powerful is like, you know, arguably one of the best people around doing that. Yeah. 
just to try and copy him is no good. You need to understand. That's years. But that's you need to feeling. understand that's why he's soul. doing the things yep. and then do your version of those things. Yep. Because if you just- The way your body interprets it. Yeah. If you just yep. try and make the noises he makes, then it's not genuine. And the dog knows it's not genuine. That's yep. just a bunch of shit going on. From him, it's genuine. Yeah. Um, so you have to learn why is he doing those things and then do your version of the same shit. Yeah. Totally agreed. All right. Kaylin says, again, same same person who I'm not going to try again on the last name. It's got deep. Yeah. yeah. It was meant to be a laugh. I know. We're supposed to have fun about this, but we, we could still. Uh, <laughs> greyhounds can't sit. Really? What's the urban myth? Okay. Well, I better go and tell all the greyhounds in the kennels that come in here and say that they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. <laughs> Luke Foe says they can, but it looks gross. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the comedy in it. Yeah. Uh, I I can't say whether I've ever seen a greyhound sit. I've never. I've seen like myriads of them sit, almost every single one of them. Yeah. I mean, does it look gross? It's like a dog sitting. Yeah. A a muscly dog. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't imagine it. I don't, it doesn't seem weird to me. Well, it doesn't seem weird to me. um, That statement completely seems weird because it just, it doesn't fall in line with what I know to be true is that, Greyhounds, whippets, Italian greyhounds. Saying a greyhound couldn't sit would be almost like saying a visual couldn't sit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Weird. W.A. Garrido says, as an urban myth, God is real. Well, I believe, I believe in God. She is. I've met her. Yeah. Zoe says, I believe in God. Someone asked me what color my dog's mouth was because that would determine her bite strength. Mm, true. well what color is it zoe yeah what color i've never heard that before yeah well it changes colors when it's biting you what's interesting though is i remember nev telling me a while ago that the rottweiler show judges were starting to be strict on the black mouth yes they want the black mouth yes very much so they don't want pink mouth they want black mouth they want the pigment is that because of the bite strength nope that's got nothing in fact they discourage um, biting because they believe that it turns the black mouth into a pink mouth. Right. Certain circles do. Okay. Yeah. So they do everything they can not to affect the color of the mouth because that's part of the breed characteristics of the dog to have a black mouth. <laughs> <laughs> this is like that meme with the two buttons and the guy doesn't know which one to push. Yeah. I've got the perfect Doberman, right? Uh, not Doberman, fucking whatever we're talking about. Rottweiler. I've got the perfect Rottweiler because his mouth is black. Is one of the buttons. Rottweilers. My Rottweiler will protect me. Look at this. I can prove it. The other button. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm stuck mm. because I wouldn't want to affect the prettiness of his black mouth. Well, that's why there's such a divide between the working dog community and the show community. Yeah. One is a catwalk, and the other is uh, real life. Kaylee's back. She says, don't know if it classifies as an urban myth, but everyone always tells me their dog is too dumb, old, young, husky, whatever, to learn, listen to obedience. That's one that we, so in the last one, we did talk about uh, a dog being too old to learn, and we just spoke about like elderly disease and pain and so forth, but mm. that that's not relevant. But one they're, thing, they're resistors of learning. They're yeah. not factors of learning. But so, and there's a few, reading through the comments here, there's quite a few people talking about, you know, certain breed can't do X, Y, or Z. Specifically like sight hounds and huskies can never be off leash. It's impossible to ever teach them to read. Never is a ridiculous concept. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that 
it's such a cop out for so many, especially breed groups that want to say like our dogs are so different and fancy that they can't even be trained, right? And mm. and it, it's a cop out for the like the genetic traits. So yeah, oh, I'm know, not fat. I'm just big boned. <laughs> but so like husky people will tell you a lot that oh, you could never teach a husky to recall. That that's one you hear. Same as greyhounds as well. And it because they don't train the dogs to do anything. Mm. And then it gives them the the same excuse to then say, oh, well, I could never stop him pulling on this harness because he's a, a he's always going to pull on the lead, 100% because he's a husky. He's bred to do it. And it's like, yeah, but with training, you could change that. Oh, oh, well, if I could change that, then I'd also be able to recall him. So, no, this is it. This is who he is. It's, <laughs> these are his genetics. He was born this way. Environment and training have zero input into this dog. He lives in a vacuum. Mm. Um, and he is the- Forsaking, actually trying. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I hear that a lot. I've heard a lot of people say that beagles cannot be trained in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I've had 30 years of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I've also had years of people coming to training and they'll they'll describe a sort of dog that they want to do protection or a bite sport. You know, they'll say, this is what I want to do as a sport or as a vocation. And then they'll turn up with an Alaska Malamute. Yeah, yeah. And I'll go, what's this? You know, like, are you in the Odorod or something like that? <laughs> and they'll go, what do you mean? And I said, well, you told me that you wanted a dog to defend your house and you've turned up with the the complete opposite dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but I got told that these are strong, powerful dogs and that, you know, that they yeah. use them in the Alaskan wilderness. I said, yeah, to pull sleds, yeah. you know, and to survive horrific um, conditions over there. Basically, you've got yourself a big cuddly pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, you can do stuff with him, but not what you want to do. Yeah. Mind you, I did teach one to do a hold and bark and he did quite well, but he was a unicorn. Yeah. Hmm. We've done, we've spoken this to death, but it is very frustrating when people get an off breed on purpose to do yeah, the, I know. the wrong task. Look, I admire people. I, I do in my heart and soul. When I see people, I don't encourage them to go out and get that dog. Like I never would. But I have a special place in admiration when I see people that have got the wrong type of dog and yet they can do something amazing with it. Yeah, that's like, fine. That That's a person that I really, like, you know, I do want to pick their brain. Well, and again, that's commitment to the dog that that's they have. That's right. But when people do it the other way around. And, and they go, usually find that they've got the unicorn dog. Yeah. You know? or, or it's just that they, but they're never going to be the peak of success in that game. Yeah. Like you might be able to uh, finish a Formula One race in a rally car. Yeah. But, but you're never going to win. But you won't win the, you, yeah, you won't not be standing gonna, on the podium. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But, and that's fine when, when you go, oh, look, I'm going to get in. I like this game. I'm going to start playing it. And this is the dog that I have. And we're going to do the best that we can. Cool. Yep. But it drives me fucking insane when people are like, I'm going to prove that an off-breed dog can do it. Especially when they waste your time. That's the worst part of it. When, like, when you've given hours of your personal time and other people have too, like you are a pain in the ass to people when you do those type yeah. of things. When you ring up me or Pat or, you know, a myriad of other trainers who know what they're talking about in some of these bite sports and you sit there on the phone asking them questions and questions and questions and then you completely turn up with a dog that you were not advised to get, expect it to do something, it doesn't do something and then you want to blame everybody you, else for you, it. You get a husky and it, was, <laughs> and it was the special one that the breeder was keeping back to you know maybe breed from and yep. you seem like the perfect person. So you're lucky we're gonna have got to, the special unit. We're going to have dog. to double the price and he's 16 weeks old and never left the property. But you know, yeah, we'll do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. All right. Oh, Robin, Robin Muller. Since I am involved in rescue, I will say they just need some love in a warm spot on my bed. Yep. 
That's true. That's the, you know, on the rescue, I think the big one, the big urban myth is the bait dog. The bait dog one? Yeah. 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 You've covered that one. Have yeah. we? Yeah. It's so annoying. Yeah. Every dog, every rescue I've ever met from yep. anywhere was a bait dog. Yeah. He doesn't have any scars. Mm. He's, I don't know where all these fighting rings are. I don't know where they all are. I end up saying to a couple of people recently, I think we spoke about this and then we cut that whole episode. We didn't put it out. But, uh, I was talking to a bunch of people in the, at a party and everybody had the rescue that was from a bait dog. Oh, yeah. It was a bait dog. And I ended up putting them all together because they'd all wanted to gnaw my ear off about their dogs. And I put them all together and was like, can you believe <laughs> that all of you have bait dogs and that all of you had the dogs were fine when they first came into your home? <laughs> and then, you know, three to six months later, there's all these behavioral issues that are related to when they were a bait dog. Oh, yeah. Can you believe it? What are the odds? And then I said, and this is what sort of ended the conversation. I was like, you know what? I'd like to go see a dog fight. How can we find one? Because if all these bait dogs are around, surely there's dog fights happening everywhere, right? There must be because every rescue is a bait dog. There must be, there must be thousands of dog fighting rings going on all over the place. One of the things I think a lot of rescue groups have got to come to terms with is that some of the dogs they've got are just not suitable to be rehomed. Yeah, totally. You know, and that's why people like Charles Manson were incarcerated for all of his life. Yeah. You know, he was not suitable to be released in public. The guy was fucking batshit crazy all of his life from the minute he was incarcerated to the, the, the time that he passed away. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing for some dogs that are in there. I know that you, that many of you people have got big hearts and souls, you know, and your intentions are, heavenly you know they really are and it's a burden that i wouldn't want placed on myself as well but the mere fact is that some of these dogs get into home and all they do is they fuck up one home from another and they cause more problems and they you know and and it's the problem is is that trainers will be pitted against each other over their fails i mean i've i've gone around to try and work with some of these dogs before and i've literally said to them there's nothing i can do for you yeah you know like your options now are either euthanasia or you have to heavily medicate this dog to be able to successfully live with it. That's what you're stuck with now. Something that would be interesting, I think, would you know, maybe I don't work in rescue, right? uh, I've trained plenty of rescue dogs, but Mm. not in the industry. We've spoken about that. Mm. But I think it would be interesting to do a a trial for people that are in rescue to try something like this, right? Instead of the story of, oh, this dog's, you know, we don't know his history, but clearly he was abused because he's afraid of the man in the blue hat and blah, blah, blah is to just explain to people, you know, that's a two-minute story about how he was clearly abused and now that people leave with the fake sob story for their dog that yep. does the dog no, no favours. Instead of saying that, just explain to people like, hey, here's how dogs work. You have this thing called the critical period of socialisation. Yep. In that first, for a dog, those genes are expressed till 16 weeks and then that's turned off. Yep. Means that if your dog... In, in this case, this dog that was born here in the shelter or we found in the middle of wherever, it's not that... All these problems, these behavioral issues that this dog uh, presents are not because it's had a bad experience. It's actually because it's had a lack of experience. Mm -hmm. And just see how people react to that versus the sob story. Yep. Because I feel like- And also explain to to them that the dog will benefit on a life outside with enrichment and training. Yeah. Yeah. But then also- most other dogs. You then have the capacity to say to people as well, well, you know, the thing about- 
missing the critical period of socialization is that you've missed the opportunity to generalize good experiences. So don't expect that a good experience in one place is going to carry over into a positive association with another place, right? Because that's the, that's the, the facts of it. That's the simple stuff that people really, if they understood, would then manage their dog heaps better. Yeah. And they stop looking for the trigger of what it, whatever it was that, what, that did abuse him. That must have been around the corner. Maybe he could smell the man that abused him or whatever it is. It's yep. just like, no, he was having a fine time there because you did a good job introducing that and you made, created that as a positive experience. I know to you that, that at you know, location A under circumstance A, and I know to you that location B under circumstance B looks and feels the same, but because he missed the opportunity during his critical period, your dog isn't going to generalize that ever mm. in his life. He's never going to generalize that. So you have to treat every new experience as, as a new experience, as a new experience. Mm. And your dog's never going to generalize that environmental soundness yep. because he was locked in a box at, until he was past 16 weeks. He's been here for six months. And if you just explain that to people though, I think they would be so much better equipped to care for and look after their dog. That's going to have problems forever rather than the bullshit story. That's my rant. What I should add to that, which was a good rant, I support what you said. What I should add to that as a caveat is that both you and I have immeasurable respect for people in rescue and welfare. Yeah, to do it right. If they do it right. That's also the outlier that needs to be added into it. Yeah. Uh, If they do it right, because it's a thankless and it's a very stressful job. It's a very stressful vocation that people take on. But the reality is that they do need to do it right. Yeah. You know, it's like and there's pe- loads of people that do, but yeah, I'm just curious are. on like yeah. who rehomes a dog. Yeah, don't with bullshit that. people. But who like, rehomes dogs with that story? Like either rescues that explain that. Because it like you can do it in 20 minutes. Yeah. If someone's there, you can explain to them, like, hey, this is how a critical period of socialization works. Yeah. Every every experience is a new experience for your dog for the rest of your life, and you're gonna have to manage that. And it's not until you put the the weight of probabilities on the side of positive that your dog's gonna start just going like, Okay, typically things go well for me, and you need to stick with that mm. for, you know, two years instead of six weeks, right? Like you need to keep with it. Yeah. I guess in summary, what you and I are saying to people doesn't matter if it's welfare, rescue, training, is don't drink the Kool-Aid. Find out the truth. And this is part of the urban myths as well. Because, I mean, I was exposed to plenty of these urban myths when I was a young guy coming up in training or even training my own dogs. Was all of these and many more of these bullshit stories I was told, and I believed them because people that I thought were my peers, were my mentors, were telling me these stories. You know, older people who were, in my eyes, experienced people were giving me the story. And I know that many of the young kids that are coming into this industry now, people are still getting fed, spoon-fed this bullshit in droves and and they want to believe it because their heart feels that this is the right thing to do. Yeah. However, you know, start opening up some books. That will tell you the truth. Like research a little bit more. And this is the thing with all the urban myths, all the stories that you're hearing is that you actually chase it back. Like you do what your journalist friend did. You'll find the person at the origin of the story. You know, like where did it come from? How did it generate? Mm. Why did it generate? Like what was the purpose behind saying it? Like that's what we need to encourage people to do more often than not. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Second and third order thinking. Second and third order effects. Effects, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Second and third order effects. Yeah. Caitlin Callahan, black tongue means the dog must be part chow chow. Oh. So that's what the Rottweiler people want. Why no, don't they just breed no, they in some- the tongue. Why they, don't- Oh, they don't want black tongue. They don't want black tongue. Oh. Yeah. Black tongue would be a major issue. Oh. How dare they? Yep. So what about the German shepherds that have got like black spots on their tongues? They must have chow chow in them. It must be. Yeah. 
My first they must, have, must had, have flown them over to China and mated them and then come back again. My first Mallee had a huge black spot on his tongue. A breeder that I was in connections with early in my career, a lot of his dogs, especially from his East German bloodlines, they had big black spots on their tongues. Yeah. Mm. Part cha Must be. <laughs> the evidence supports it. Uh, Laura, show your show the dog you're dominant by rubbing his muzzle in poop. Probably avoid that one. That is just a waffly old bullshit story. Okay. In fact, what I'm going to say about that is don't rub your dog's nose in anything if you want to. One of the most prolific survival traits of a dog is its olfactory system. Mm. Start doing damage to that and you really create havoc to the dog's whole network of um, survivability. Don't mess around with a dog's nose. Mm -hmm. Full stop. All right. Miranda Lamotte. This may actually be true or just a helpful tip, but it's something I learned from a PP fanatics a long time ago and have been meaning to ask about here. Once you've burned a command, inadequately reinforced and or allowed the dog to ignore over a period of time, you must change the cue in order to retrain the behavior. I've heard that as well. And for a while, I actually taught that, especially on the recall. If I had turned up and people had kind of a shitty recall, I would get them to change the command. It depends on how aversive it is to the yeah, dog. So like that's, it's, that's it, what I mean. That's what I was about to explain. So now yeah. I've totally changed because I actually got that from some force-free people as well. Yeah. And it kind of made sense that if, you've, if you're calling your dog and the dog comes sometimes and other times doesn't, then you should change the command. But now I don't. I just reload that command. But if there actually is a negative association yeah, with the command, an, I just it, ditch it. Yeah. The positive side of it, if it's only that the dog has ignored it just due to your mismanagement in your own training behaviours, that's not a problem. Yeah. But if the dog's received heavy aversives through it, yeah, that's going to be a problem for you. Yeah. And you definitely, as you said, you definitely need to change it. Yeah. And, and so if it's just really, it shows that the dog doesn't actually know the behaviour. If he's not doing it all the time on command, then he doesn't really know it and you just go back to a learning phase. That's right. Whereas the other one, the dog has a prior memory of it, which yeah. is bad. Yeah. And that even when you try and uh, override it by something positive, the dog will recall the, the previous aversive memory and it will think to itself, no, nah, I, don't, I don't trust you in this behavior. Mm-hmm. Donna Singleton, sable German shepherds have wolf in their bloodline. Well, we know that's bullshit because we just established that they have chow chow in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, or maybe a sable German shepherd is wolf cross chow chow. Only if they've got a black spot on their tongue. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. They're no black spot, pure wolf. Got it. Yeah. Just a rebadged as a domestic wolf. Well, I guess if you rewind the clock far enough, you'll find that most dogs have wolf in them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Georgie, that pit bulls were ever nanny dogs. Ooh. That's a controversial one. We probably need Georgie on the show to explain that herself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that got kind of blown up a fair bit when people want to justify that pitbulls are good with kids. And the truth is, like, you know, this is an argument that's been around a million times. All the things that made an original fighting dog, all the traits that made a really good pit dog, like actual fighting dog, a really good one, also make them great with kids. Yep. But that's not to say that they ever were used as babysitters. (laughs) Right? And that's not to say that, Many dogs have those traits these days. I think that that's the real risk is when you say, oh, pit, pit bulls are nanny dogs. Well, a, a pretty big majority of them right now wouldn't leave anywhere near my kid. There's stories that people have told me along the way and 
I don't know enough about Pitbull history. I've never really got involved in it. It was a bullet I wanted to dodge a long time ago. I kind of let, I, you know, I understand that Pitbulls have been grossly mismanaged and they've also been grossly represented as well, as have a lot of breeds. But, I mean, there was a lot of times in Rottweiler history as well where people would say, oh, you know, I went to punish my child and my Rottweiler got in the way and wouldn't let, you know, like sort of wrapped itself around my child and was going to go me. Well, I'm thinking, well, if your own dog is going to go you in any situation, you've got a problem in your household already, Mm. you know, because that's not a situation where the dog should get involved. Like if you're trying to discipline your child, I mean, if you're, you know, some sort of weirdo thug parent that beats up on your wife and kids and your dog tears your leg off, well, you had that coming anyway. That Mm -hmm. was probably justification from God because we've just established that God is real as well. So fuck you. But, (laughs) but, you know, like people have told me all these wives tales before, like, oh, you know, if I got in a fight, my dog would automatically jump in, even though it's had no prior behavior. And it probably will, but he'll probably attack you. We've proven that, you know, like I watched Boyd do that same sort of situation where a guy came to the center, kept arguing the point and Boyd said, yeah, let's get into a fight and let's see how it goes. And his own dog bit him. Yeah. And we all laughed. Hysterically, it's actually really sad. People don't understand that, right? Because yeah. whoever's losing yeah. is the one that that the pack usually flog. Yeah, that doesn't fit into our human social uh, construct, but that's how dog brains work. And unless you've trained the dog, a lot of people don't know this, man. And it is they find out the hard way. Like unless you've trained the dog how to bite and how to fight, and that you as a team can come back from what appears like a loss. Yeah, if someone's fighting you, your dog is going to fucking nail you. Uh, th- unless it's been trained to do otherwise. In the dog's eyes, it's a hysterical situation that the dog doesn't understand how to manage, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the same thing for a person who doesn't understand how to manage a fight in any situation. Like, let's remove dogs from this argument for, for the point in time. Let's say, for example, you've been employed as a crowd controller, okay? Your job is the majority of the time is to manage the crowd and prevent any incidents from occurring but if an incident occurs and you need to manage that incident if you have no experience in being able to step in there and control that that heated aggression you're going to panic you're either going to run away or you're going to get the shit kicked out of you while you're laying on the ground most people i know in those sort of situations they know how to remove the threat quickly and efficiently because they've had training in how to do it yeah you know they're masters in body language they understand this is the person that needs to be taken out of the room and they manage it quite well. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's always going to go their way, but still because of the prior training that they've had, they get in there, they separate the incident, they cool everything down, they quieten it all down and the situation is resolved. Mm. Without that, it's a complete shit show and it goes to, and people will just panic and run everywhere. Yeah. It's the same thing where I've seen in dog fights before. Yeah. You know, or where dogs have bitten their owners. Yeah. And then people come back to me in horror and say, my dog bit me and I'll say, does he normally bite you? No, it's the first time it happened. Explain the situation around it. Well, it's, it's just a shit show. Just a complete nightmare for the dog. It's the worst possible scenario and the dog has no management criteria in it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's plenty of videos of that. An abundance of them. Yeah. And, you know, some are not funny and some are complete comedy. Oh, but a lot of them are really sad. Yeah. People get nailed by their own. So they're copping a beating. Yeah. And then their own dog comes and gets involved on it. It's like your whole world is crumbling there. Yeah. Like you think to yourself, oh, my, that's the ultimate form of betrayal. You know, well, yeah. yellow came and bit me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a couple of dominance ones we spoke about last time. Here we go. Sue Trusk. Feed a working dog milk and it will never work again. I have never heard that. I have never heard that one. 
Well, the the funny thing is, is all my puppies are raised on milk. Yeah. Okay. All of the puppies. I mean, they 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 have milk from their mothers. Yeah. You know, so when the mother lactates, they're they're drinking her milk. Yeah. Okay. And when you're weaning them, you usually have some sort of porridge milk substitute until you start to wean them over. So in that event, I mean, Randy was raised on puppy milk mm. um, until he was old enough to drink water. Harley drank milk when he was a baby. Do you ever give your adult dog milk? Yeah. Yeah. Some of the females to help them with extra nutrition and so forth, we've given them milk in the past. But you've never given a working dog milk? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah. They've eaten the puppy food after the puppies have, like, let's say, for example, if there was an abundance of it, I've put it on the floor and they've eaten it. Right. And it's got milk in it. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Did they ever work again? <laughs> yep, they just stopped immediately. They just stream around and go, I've got too much milk in my belly. Uh, it's, it's not true. Courtney Arellano. I don't know if it counts as an Sorry, myth. let's go back to this milk thing just quickly. We haven't if had you, enough milk. If your dog loves milk, has a lactose intolerant issue, I would bet, dare say that that would probably cause a problem for your dog. Mm-hmm. Okay, but outside a health-related issue, I'm calling bullshit on that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's a weird one. Yeah, I can't imagine it that it would so, really That's happening. the first time I've heard that. Yeah, I've never heard it. I've heard about if you give your dog blood, it'll turn them crazy and they want to kill everyone. Yeah, there's plenty of people posting that, but we, that's almost all yeah, we spoke about last time. Yep. My old Border Collie Ernie used to really like milk. I'm trying to think. I haven't given any of my dog's milk. They, they, they eat don't, yogurt. Does that, that's, does that count? Yeah, well, it's still a form of milk. Still dairy. It's not milk, though. It's yogurt. Well, it's milk that's changed, yeah. But, I mean, the reality is, is I mean, do they need milk? Uh, there's, there's no situation <laughs> that I know of where a dog requires milk. You know? So you're on team no, no, get, no milk for I, dogs. I, I, just don't, I just don't need to get You heard milk. it here, folks. Yeah, Glenn need, Cook it. says, if you ever feed your working dog milk, it'll never work again. <laughs> that's not what I said. That's what I heard. All right, moving on. I don't know if it counts as an urban myth, but I've had two different people tell me if I spoke in a deeper voice to my deaf dog, she'd be able to feel the vibrations in the air and understand my commands. Calling bullshit on that. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Mm. Maybe if you put a speaker down on the floor and they can feel the vibrations. Or maybe if your dog got bitten by a radioactive spider or... She know. also says, when I had a German shepherd, I had multiple people tell me that I needed to teach her in German because they understood German better than English. You know, I, I've perpetuated that myth. <laughs> uh, I Maybe that's why Randy doesn't do some of the things that I'm expecting of him is because he's waiting for me to translate it in German. Well, make my job far easier. I've had plenty of people that ask me, like, try and get my dog to do stuff or whatever. And I say, I oh, know he doesn't speak English. He his commands are in Dutch, uh, and they say why, and I say, oh, he's he's from Holland. Yep. And so, <laughs> who knows? Maybe I am the perpetuator. Maybe I started that one. <laughs> that would be cool if it I it had gone full circle. Maybe that's why when European seminar people come out, that's why everybody starts speaking their language when they come out. Yeah. Super. Um, oh yeah, fine, younger super. Matthew Bagood <laughs> says, uh, halty lead, no pull harness, stops the dog from pulling. Well, typically not right away. It still requires what, what, training. What's that? What was that one? A head halty yeah. or no pull harness stops the dog pulling. Sometimes. Yeah. It depends on it's the dog. It's just a training tool. Yeah. And it, like all these things, that, like 
head halty and no pull harnesses, they're really just forms of negative reinforcement. It, it, that's yeah. what, that's the killer with like the force free community that say, oh no, I wouldn't. That's why they move off them. As yeah. soon as they realize that, that there's some force involved in it. Yeah. And it's just straight negative reinforcement, yeah. which is fine. Mm. But like a negative reinforcement tool, People think of it always like, oh, that's going to rob the dog of power. Well, it depends, right? If you're Could power the dog up, yeah, too. that's right. Mm. Like, depends on the application. Yeah, if the level of pressure exceeds the hope, then yeah, you've got a, a tool that will flatten the dog out. But if yep. the level of pressure doesn't exceed the hope, you got a tool that will jack the dog up. Yep. And you know, we on purpose choose which one of those we want to play with. But I think a lot of people, you know, pet people who just go like, oh, I'm going to get this no pull harness, and they put it on the dog, expecting that it will not stop the dog pulling. Well, it depends on what the dog is pulling to and how reinforcing that is. Yep. And, you know, are you then just – it's what we've talked about many times, like accidentally knee-po-poing your dog. There was a funny video posted somewhere the other day about that that Doberman dragging a woman into the Into the pond. river. Yeah. yeah. And then Jay pointed out the dog's wearing a prong collar. Yep. I was like, well, they're, they're, now we see why he's so powerful in that behavior. He's, he's not only chasing the excitement of – the ducks, but he's yep. also learning to turn off pressure. Yep, right, via doing it. Uh, yeah, once I stop the the boat anchor on the end, it's it's all rewarding for me. Yeah, it's a funny one. Like people, it that's you know kind of so much of what I spend time teaching is that these tools they don't have an inherent. It's interpretation. Yeah. It's it, completely interpreted. That's right. It's not like you just put this on your dog and away you go. You have people say that like, oh, you know, oh. So what hit these dogs so highly trained? It's wearing an e-collar. It's like, well, it's not like the e-collar is a fucking walkie-talkie and suddenly the dog can, like I can talk to him and he, he understands exactly what I'm saying. It's not like it's deciphering my words to dog, Yeah, right? It's still just a tool that gives me tactile feedback to the dog. It doesn't fucking train the dog in any that's way, the shape, prob- or form. That's the very problem with what you think and feel. That's yeah. the very problem with that whole point is that you've ignored the second part of that. You haven't synchronized your thinking. And that's the important thing. Like you haven't considered it from the other end of the spectrum of the dog's point of view. Mm. And only when you do, that's when you'll be successful. Yeah, totally. And that's, I think, so much of what we're trying to explain to people, especially when you're trying to explain this to pet people when you're giving them a new tool, right? Like here's the tool that's going to help you with your dog is – you have to use it the right way. It's not like just putting it on fixes your problem. You know, you you have to use it in the correct fashion. You can actually see why pet people have such sufferance over their selection criteria and what they're trying to do to get through this myriad of information. Like when we're looking at all these urban myths now that we're going through, which we're having a laugh and poking a bit of fun at, yeah. a lot of people, this is the actual information that they're getting firsthand. Yeah, totally. We've had a comedic side to this, but there's also a dark side in this as well. Like when you look at urban myths as a learning platform, the learning platform is the majority of people who are going out and getting dogs and getting online, like a lot of the things that we're poking fun at are popular things that are raising to the forefront. Yeah. Like they're reading that and thinking, okay, well, some well-respected public figures have gotten up and they're spruiking this advice. That's the shameful part of it, really. That's the scary side of it is there's still people who are outspoken public figures who are getting into people's living rooms and conveying. I think with everything, like everything, it's the extremes are interesting. Yeah. So, you know, people who are in the public eye preaching dominance theory sort of stuff, it's very entertaining to watch that, and it it's um it's kind of I can't even think of the right word. Like it's uh, the extremist view is the most interesting view, mm. right? A centrist 
like educated, thoughtful response is often quite boring. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah, not yeah. what gets play. Yeah. And so when someone yeah, ca- says charisma oh, is is the key. Yeah. When yeah, so when someone charisma like, is the establishment. This is a hundred percent fact. The only way to get your dog to stop shitting in the house is to rub his nose in the shit. Yeah. Then that's easy to pass on because it's like, no, this is a fact. This is the only way. Right. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. The guy down the street told me and he told me with a dead straight face and yep. his daddy told him and his grandpappy told him. And now this is where we're at. Come here, Fido, I'm gonna rub your face in my own shit because fuck it i'll add an extra layer to that right but then you get people who are like oh no 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 like you should never touch your dog in any way you should never say no and so that gets some airplay as well because yep. it's like no this is exactly how it is yeah but then for people who have got a you know it's one of those scary things in that the more you know the more you realize that the, mm. the answer is not as simple as you think yeah and so when someone says oh well, how do i do this and you go well there's probably a few variables to that can you tell me a little bit more about it and they're like no, I want to know. I want an extremist answer right here. Right yeah, now. I want to fix right now. Yeah, I stupidly. Narelle gets this all the time. It, yeah, for health-related issues, like can you fix the problem? And she'll say, "Well, there's a lot of things that need to change." Yeah, but I want to fix it right now. Yeah, and I mean, they've had a lifetime of getting to the point of saturating themselves with poor health, and yet they want it fixed today. Yeah. In a uh, local Facebook group, so it wasn't a dog group, it was just a local, it was actually like a dad's group. Someone posted something about their dog bit their kid, right, and wrote on it, the dog bit the kid on the face and was looking for advice on sort of what to do. And I wrote, I thought, oh, you know, here's an opportunity to contribute. One of the things he said was, you know, definitely wasn't aggressive. And I said, well, I kind of wrote a long passage saying, you know, loads of people are saying just get rid of that dog, fuck it off. Other people are, you know, saying... It's never the dog's fault. It's always the kid. Blah, blah. There's a lot of varied opinions. Yep. And I wrote in there just saying like, well, can you explain if you want advice on sort of the, the path you should take, first of all, you're definitely going to have to get a, an actual trainer in. And he was acknowledging that in his initial post, but yep. wanted like what right now and how should I feel about this was what he was saying. I wrote kind of a long post sort of saying, you know, it's really important what happened before and what happened after. That's going to shape a, a lot of what, you know, you, the decisions that you make from here how come that was able to happen? Like how did we get to the circumstance where that happened? And you need to acknowledge that and make sure that that circumstance can't present itself again. Then we need to know was the behavior, was the aggression reinforced or not? Like what, what was exactly what happened after that? How dare you say? Yeah. And that's exactly what he said. He, He wrote back to me and said, I told you it wasn't aggressive. And I said, well, mate, here's the issue. Your dog bit your kid. So the bite was either an act of aggression or an act of prey. So you're fucked either way, right? Like you need to acknowledge that. And like if it was, if your dog bit your kid on the face in prey, you've got a very serious problem, right? And you'd better hope it was aggressive. He's trying to make excuses for the dog saying the dog wasn't being aggressive. So you better hope he was aggressive because we can fix that. But it was because my answers were not simple, right? The guy came around, but it wasn't as like, it wasn't cut and dry like, yep, get rid of it. Or it wasn't mainstream. Yeah, but it wasn't, it, it requires some thought and it yeah. wasn't fun. It wasn't like a extremist things. It was just like, hey, there's a lot going on here. And that's the issue we face in dog training is it's nothing is that simple. Like it is simple in the big picture, right? The, mm. the, but but the minutiae of it, when you really get down to understanding it, it's boring for people. They don't want to, they don't want to get top, bogged down in that. It's way easier just to believe in these like urban myths, rub, rub his face in the shit, yep. right? Like it's, that's the easiest thing to do or- yep. Or never say no to your dog. Build that monster. Hopefully, it's a. It's, <laughs> hopefully, it's some kind of herder, and um, you can sell it to Pat at twelve months old. Yep. Right. But yeah, I think that's the reason. 
it, it's just too boring and being centrist rational person is fucking what fun is that well you know again part of my regular rant my ongoing belief is that the reason that the news has been one of the most successful programs that generates interest around the world and you know it's the reason why anchorman was such a funny show yeah. is because the news is such a negative contrived shithole which just brings negativity and extremism into people's living rooms all the time yep you know the skyhawks i keep going back to the old 1970 song horror movie right there on my tv you know it's a 6 30 news it's a fu- like people love this shit they love i don't know why that things that are awesome and things that are wonderful will well, let me let me summarize it again by saying what I continually say: good news will just get out of bed, while bad news has made its way around the world. Mm. You know, and that's that's the thing where we've we've got to establish is that people love negativity; like they seem to love extremism. Yeah. All right, hang on. There's one more myth that I saw on there that I'd like to close with. Okay. Sitting on a toilet seat can get you pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I skipped over that one. <laughs> Why? <laughs> that was hilarious. Well, it certainly can't get me pregnant. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, on that, I'm wrapping it up. Uh, that's how it. Dare you, sir. How dare you skip That's one it of the for another ones. episode of the Canine Paradigm. <laughs> As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump onto Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode in there. You can give some more if you like, and there's some other cool things that happen in there. Mm. Something I intend to do this year, I'm in the process of kind of setting up a new little camera system. I'm going to film a lot of my own seminars, and in some of those other tiers, I'm going to just be Ooh. dropping some like some Bombs. cool little vids. So anyway, just sign up to that if you're keen. If you want, another way is to buy some shirts, get some merch. We've got a bunch of cool stuff on our Teespring store. Oh yeah, um, the new one from Avery. The yep. How Dare You Sir the range. How Dare You Sir range. That, mm. that that's some exciting stuff. Or yep. you can stick with the classics. Yep. And if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is to shoot us an email. We are info at the canine paradigm. Or jump on the canine paradigm discussion group. Yeah. To be honest, that's a much better way of getting in contact with yeah, us. Yeah, because it's live streaming pretty much yeah, all the time. And, and hopefully someone else will answer the question that you want. Yeah. Yeah, because, there's some really good people. There's yeah. some, It's a great think tank of wonderful minds in that group. Yeah, mm. definitely. So do that. Yep. All right. That's it. Goodbye.